Sometimes life can feel like one big project, constantly trying to put the pieces together. What if I told you it's okay to be a mess? Life is a journey and we must transform ourselves into who we want to become. We start by knowing who we are and with the relentless pursuits of our passion and purpose. How did I do it? With a lot of help from my friends. And we'll talk about all of that right here on The Beautiful Butterfly Project. We all have a story. Our life is a journey. Our journey in this life is our past, our present, and our preferable future. But one of the main things that we have to do on this journey is to eliminate fear. Fear hinders our I am and who we are ultimately to become. Fear is the main source of superstition and one of the main sources of cruelty. To conquer fear is the beginning of wisdom. Bertrand Russell said this. And today on episode three of the Beautiful Butterfly Project, we will talk about how to fear less and live more with Sue Kerr. All on this journey to live life relentlessly on purpose in the pursuit of our passion. This is the Beautiful Butterfly Project. Sue Kerr is a mental well-being mindset strategist. She is an NLP practitioner, an international multi-award-winning inspirational speaker, and she is CEO and founder of Fearless and Live More. But Sue considers herself to be a catalyst for affecting long-lasting positive change in others, and hopefully they will seek that change for themselves. She delivers coaching and training programs for both young people and adults through her company's workshops. She empowers them to truly believe that the only limits we have on ourselves are those that we place on ourselves. She speaks all over the world on mental well-being. She specializes in raising awareness and the need to raise emotional intelligence levels in our children, and at the same time, empowering them to develop growth and mindset strategies. Sue's professional expertise comes from an extensive background in education, social health care, with the primary areas of mentoring people with mental health-related conditions. But most importantly, she helps others to reframe the way they think about themselves, which leads them to an understanding that anything is possible. And the Beautiful Butterfly Project, let's welcome this dynamic individual, Sue Kerr. Hello, Sue. Welcome to the Beautiful Butterfly Project. How are you? Well, hello, Nicole. Blimey, I'm really very well, thank you. And especially after that amazing introduction, thank you very much. Well, it has been such a um, um, you know pleasure um, just getting to have you on with us today. And um, I met you a couple of years ago online. And so this is the first time that I've actually got to hear your voice. And, and I was just really honored when I met you a couple of years ago. And I had this brand new blog that was off the ground. And I just put some feelers out there. And you were so gracious to say yes to write for my blog. So I'm honored to have you on today. 
Thank you very much. It, do you know what? I remember those days fondly and I, and I loved, uh, I loved every blog post that I did. It was crafted with care and, and with, um, coming from a place of kindness and compassion, which is, which is what I'm all about really. And it was just great to, to be able to have the platform provided by yourself to, to do that for others. Thank you very much. Well, thank you so much. And, you know, hence, you know, the Beautiful Butterfly Project has been something that I've been trying to get off the ground since 2017. And I'm a new podcaster, so I'm excited and I am humbled and just honored that um, someone of your dynamic caliber has agreed to um, come on my little bitty podcast, but in hopes that it will reach um, those who need to hear this message. And so I, I gave you an introduction, but why don't you tell the audience that I dub the Butterfly Nation just a little bit about yourself. Who is Sukur? Okay. Uh, well, primarily, um, over and above everything that you so graciously introduced me as, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a mother. I'm a mother and a grandmother. And um, I, live in, I live in Yorkshire in England, which is the north of England. And, and I, these days, I live each and every day as if it was my last, which sounds a bit dramatic, but but as you'll come to hear as we move forward, uh, it ultimately almost became that one day. Uh, today, I appreciate not only my family, my friends, but myself. And I work from a place of self-care because these days I totally believe that unless... To use the oxygen mask analogy, for those of us that have ever been flying, if we don't use the oxygen mask on an aeroplane, if it drops down in a point of crisis, we're no good to anybody else. Um, we can't save ourselves, let alone our children and families, etc. So today, this version of me is, is someone who is very, very mindful of, of the fact that this moment, that's our life. And it can be taken away or gifted again repeatedly for for millions of moments which when we come back to look across time we call life so this version this mother this grandmother this person who if you like um saw the light when she woke up and smelled the coffee um now spends her days um leading others to understand that that the very fragility of what we're gifted each and every day um is ours both by way of a blessing and an opportunity to become the best version of ourselves that we can possibly be. And that's so amazing to hear you talk about this version of Sue is exactly where you want it to be and how life is so fragile and precious that it can be taken away in an instant. It is so fragile. And so all of us have that one experience that shapes us into who we are. Um, I know I have my one moment. I have my one uh, cathartic experience that, um, you know, forced me, like you said, to, you know, the music, the coffee, you know, to face it. What was that one moment or experience for you? Um, for me, it my, 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 most of us, like most of us, my life, uh, up to this point has been a game of two halves. The first half of my life, which was a larger half was one of someone who lived in the shadows, um, of fear. Basically, I looked at my life through a lens of fear for the whole of my adult life, certainly if not my childhood. Uh, but on the 26th of September, 2012, I made a routine visit to my to my doctor to my um, for some blood results. 
I'd gone. It was the latest in a very long line of blood results for varying reasons. And I sat down in front of her. She picked up her telephone and said, I'm calling for an ambulance. And I looked at her and I said, really? Who for? Just me and her sat in the office. And she said to me, well, actually, it's for you because um, you're, you're in big trouble. Your liver's failing and oh we, we need to get you to hospital and we need to do it right now. Um, in that split second, I, I was mortified. I was a bit like, we have a saying here in Yorkshire, like a rabbit caught in a headlight. You know, you, you're sort of running across the road, a car comes along and boom, you're in the spotlight and you freeze. Fight, flight or freeze was, had been a very big part of my life up to that point. But in that split second, I was very definitely frozen in time. And it's polarized on my brain insofar as I suddenly knew that everybody would know. In reality, what everybody did also already know, but I just convinced myself otherwise, was that I had a major, major issue um, with an addiction to alcohol. Um, that, had, that had unfolded slowly, but very surely over a number of years, born on the back of my own, mental, my own journey with mental health. Um, in turn, I, I, as, peop- as most people who know who've known me for some time, I consider that to have been rooted very firmly in my childhood. Right. Um, and we both know that we grow to what we know. I grew mm-hmm. up, I grew up in, an, in an era in the 60s where to be fair, parenting was a completely different experience than it is this, than it is these days. Times were a lot harder, with a lot less in terms of creature comfort, shall we say? But that's nevertheless, it's where I hung my hat. So I had defined myself for the whole of my adult life up until twenty sixth of September two thousand and twelve, as as this "where was me" type of character, and suddenly everything was going to be blown out of the water because I was going to be admitted to hospital. Everybody would know why. Etc. 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 In reality, everybody already did know why, mm. and, and and in all honesty, so did I. I just hadn't want to face it. Such was the power of existing behind the, my very carefully crafted comfort zone, um, which had become a facade, several feet thick, and I would do anything. To, and I would do anything to stay inside it. So that defining moment, I think Stephen Covey. Um, in my very, very early in my, in the days after I left hospital, because I spent six weeks there, I, I read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Mm-hmm. And one of the, one of the things that struck me was he said quite clearly, we can be defined by what happens to us, or we can be defined by how we overcome that. Certainly for the first 50 of my 50, of my then 52 years, I'd been defined by what I thought had happened to us. And I knew very early in my recovery that my defining moment, my true defining moment, if you will, had to be one where I decided that actually from this point on, I was going to be defined by how I reacted from then on in. So I started to write and, and, and writing for you with the Butterfly Project was one of the first things that I did, mm. which you, you, you had no way of knowing it then, but it was a very instrumental experience in, in my garnering my thoughts and putting my my putting them in order to be able to use the lessons from my past as a springboard into a newer brighter future and in all honesty other than on occasions like this when when I talk about it publicly um, I I don't ever look back anymore 
I only I only ever do so to see how far I've come. So I guess you can say 26th of September, 9.30 a.m. It's that polarised. Wow. Um, we all, you know, those of us that were alive when JFK was, was assassinated, we all know where we were when the news went out that day. Likewise, yeah. when Princess Diana died. Yeah. Um, and, and I can, that's a moment that's burned into my memory to a degree that I'll never, ever, ever forget. And I use that as a springboard more often than some people would perhaps think in this in this new new improved version of me because I, I always say I knew I always say improved yes right. like 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 you and I we, we I'm a work in progress daily yeah. and and yeah. some days are better than others but I never lose sight of the fact that had I not been admitted to hospital on the day that my doctor admitted me 24 hours later I would have been dead wow. it came wow. that it came that close so these these days my 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 experience on that particular day taught me the value of two things time and life and these days i try very very hard to help not only myself but others not to waste a single second wow sue i knew a little bit of that but not everything that you um just walked us through. And a couple of things really struck me about that, about what you said, is that you remember the exact day, the exact time, the exact year on when your life literally changed forever, forever. And that how when we have stuff, stuff that we hide um, from others through our comfort zone that we create around ourselves. And it's like, even though I always say we, when we look in the mirror, we have a reflection and we have our own version of what we see and what others see and how you knew that if you were going to be admitted to the hospital, that everybody would know why. Yeah. Everybody would then know why. And so that would force you to really confront everything that you had created a comfort zone around. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the irony is that I was, I was never, ever, the, the more my drinking career, as I've come to call it, uh, the more my drinking career unfolded, uh, I was never a secret drinker, ever. I would, I, would very, uh, I would be very vocal about, I somehow instinctively knew that if I took my faults outside my comfort zone on my own terms, then that would be okay because I was disempowering others in terms of what they had to say. I used to say things like, of course I've got a drink problem. I have two hands, one mouth. That's a hell of a problem. You know, or, or I'm not, because of the amount of sugar I was consuming with the amount of alcohol, which on the day of admission, incidentally, was five bottles of wine per day, mm. every day. Uh, you know, I was drinking enough to sink a battleship, never mind float one. And I, I, used, to, I used to take my imperfection, if you like, and use it as a shield of armor. Because if I was doing that, then it meant nobody else had any power over me. I didn't actually realize that at the time. I didn't know that that's what I was doing. That's one of the lessons I learned in this, in this section of my life. But it's, it's, it's vital for me these days to help others understand that it's, it's often not what we think is the root cause of our troubles, our woes, if you will, that, that get us further down that rabbit hole of, of, fear, anxiety, depression, etc. It's the story that we tell ourselves about it. 
the stories that we tell ourselves become our identity. The way we think becomes the way we speak and act and ultimately what we believe about ourselves to be true. Except, of course, most of the time, as I found out almost to my cost, it isn't actually. Right. That That can be a really hard lesson to learn. It really is. And that's something that I've been working on with the mastermind the last, oh goodness, probably three months since, you know, we here in the States, we've been dealing with COVID um, unnecessarily the way that we've been having to deal with it. But um, really been focusing on what you just so uh, compellingly said was our identity is wrapped around what we think and what we think is based upon our experiences and how that changes and how that's really warped by what we think it is, but it's really not our reality. Um, I know in that mastermind, we always talk about how how our current situation is really not our reality because it's based upon not only our current experiences, but our past experiences. And that has everything to do with shaping the way we think and the way we act. And I know one of the things that we always talk about is that um, our brain takes in all of this information and the brain doesn't care what information it takes in. It only takes root when we place an emotion to it. When we place an emotion on what comes into our brain, does it actually start to manifest in our behavior? So that's really, really compelling. Absolutely, yes. I mean, the thing to the thing to remember as well, Nicole, is that our our subconscious mind, particularly, uh, thinks in pictures. It doesn't, it doesn't understand the power of word. It, it actually thinks in pictures. So when you talk about attaching words to our emotions, the key point that I certainly missed, and I think many of us do, is that as, as children, we're born conscious, but we don't yet have a consciousness. The consciousness ah. develops very, very quickly once we're, once we're born. And instinctively, we start to suckle, for instance, to be fed, to make, meet needs. Um, when our consciousness is developed to a, such an extent that we have a memory and then we develop language, develop language skills, at that point, the subconscious mind is like, woohoo, it has a party because we can literally think as, as grown-ups, not as children particularly, because as children, we're very, very good at seeing the world through childlike eyes just for what it is, a right. joyful experience. Right. We're all born to be joyful souls, period. Uh, we learn how not to be. But when our consciousness meets language skills and we attach meaning to the things that happen to us, we find ourselves in what I've come to term either an X factor situation where we're running towards Simon Cowell shouting, pick me, pick me, and we'll do anything to, <laughs> and we'll do anything to repeat that experience. Right. Or our fear factors born and we'll do anything within our power not to repeat that experience because we don't like how it made us feel. As Maya Angelou said, you know, we forget what was said, we forget what was done, but we never forget how it made us feel. And that's what she means. When, the con- when our consciousness collides with our language skills and memory develops, we, we have the potential, as parents, incidentally, because our child- as children we know no better, but we have the potential as parents to make or break a child's life before they've even reached the age of seven. 
And that is so true. And and we don't even understand it. I often say we can forget the leaders of the Western world, especially during this time of COVID, the, the parental responsibility that we each of us have is the most responsible job on the entire planet, bar none. That's amazing. And that just coincides so much with what I've been working on myself (laughs) these Mm -hmm. last few months, just becoming more mindful of how I um, view, you know, things that happened in the past and how, you know, I've brought a lot of those things to my present and just really learning how to attach different emotions to them. And, And one of my affirmations is that, I will take every negative thought and every negative emotion and give it back to its source, give it back to the beginning. So I no longer harbor that here in my presence. So I just, I love talking about mindfulness and I know, and and I love talking about the emotions and everything just is, is associated with it because it just has so much to do with our current development in our journey. And so when we talk about your life's event, you um, said that you don't uh, really think about it until you're talking about it and you never look back because you're always um, looking to move forward. But two things that you talked about was that you really value time in life. And how do you use your time in your life to really impact others presently? Um. Firstly, I one of the first in terms of time, one of the first things that I did in, in 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 recovery was to understand that we all of us, every single person on this planet, is gifted eight to six thousand four hundred seconds every single day. Now we didn't know when we were born that that's how many seconds in a day that we had, nor did we know that twenty four hours was a day, etc., etc., etc. That's a man made phenomenon, if you like. But for the purposes of this the way that I work with the people and the way I explain it on in, in podcasts such as this is it's not the time that we're gifted each and every day. It's what we choose to do with it that can dictate whether or not we feel stressed out or mindfully uh, happy and living in the present. Stress is no more or less than the perception of how much we have to do in the amount of time that we think is available to us. and. If we can get a handle on that, life becomes much, much more manageable, much, much more manageable. Um, and it's easy to forget, I think, that especially when we're when we're all of us in multiple relationships, we we all of us have different identities: mom, grandmother, wife, um, employee, employer, podcast host, speaker, etc. We all have multiple identities to fit into any given day. And and it can be very, very difficult to spin plates, you know, to keep everything going. The root cause of all of that, in my opinion, is the fact that we don't pay much mind to ourselves. Mm. We forget how important we are, to go back to what I said at the beginning about self-care and the analogy of the oxygen mask, we forget how important we are, particularly as women, some men, and increasingly more so men are becoming more emotionally intelligent, but particularly women, we think that that we'll get to ourselves eventually. The majority of women that I work with are so far down their own to-do list on any given day that they're not actually on it. 
because they don't think they have the time to to look after themselves. And right. I, I said to somebody, I said to somebody recently, you're telling me you, I, 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 pers- I personally meditate, for instance. So my daily routine of a morning, I will get up circa an hour or so before everybody in the house, everybody else in the house gets up to make sure that I have my me time. It's now one of my non-negotiables. So for me, uh, my non-negotiables daily are uh, at least a two mile walk, regardless of the weather. It doesn't always work because of my scheduling, but that's 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 I make sure that it happens at some point in the, in 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 any order of the day. So I will walk, I meditate, I practice EFT, the emotional freedom technique. Okay. I okay. I I I combine more than two two birds uh, in a in a feather, if you like, is it's Yorkshire saying that? But two, I can do two things at once. So, for instance, if I am walking, I will listen to a podcast. So, more than likely, when this podcast goes live. I will indulge myself and listen to this whilst I'm walking. Yeah. So Absolutely. I'm doing two, I'm sort of multitasking. Women are very good at multitasking. And it's, it's finding ways of being inventive in order that we move from not being on our list each and every day to be non-negotiably at the top. And in understanding in all of that, Nicole, that it's not being selfish it's it learning, to, learning to love ourselves. To quote the song by George Benson, I think it was, learning to love ourselves is the greatest love that we will ever experience. That is true. And, is true. And, and in terms of self-care daily, I use a hashtag on most of my social media, self-care, hashtag sanity, not vanity, because mm. that's exactly how I feel about it these days. But pre nineteen. Pre 1952, blimey, I wasn't even born then. Pre 2012, <laughs> where did that little nugget come from? Pre 2012, I, I was that person. I was never on my own list. Three kids, you know, mm. working a career, keeping the home, da 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 da. And we don't ever give second thought because we think we'll do it tomorrow. Absolutely. What I know for sure is that stress these days, in all its forms, is rapidly becoming the biggest single contributing factor to premature death it is and and i personally i've been i've been looked at the grim reaper in the eye once i've no intention to go there anytime soon so hence why i say my self-care is is non-negotiable absolutely non-negotiable and it has to be a non-negotiable in our lives and i know when i wrote about my moment in in reflections of the butterfly you know i too had gone to the doctor and my situation wasn't as um as um your sue but i was high blood pressure cholesterol was out of control i was overweight and I was going to have to change my life. And I was so far down on my to-do list that everyone else came first working two and a half jobs, the couple of kids, house, spouse. And I just knew that something had to change. Otherwise, I was going to um, head down a road of um, you know, possibly losing my life as well. And yeah. not only that, uh, just being mentally healthy, you know, just it, it, just going through depression and not knowing just how to deal with that. And so um, it is really amazing that you work with women and that you um, work with other individuals to help them through this process. And I'm reading that it's your mission in the next three years to empower one million people 
worldwide to move from a place of fear to a place of being able to freely live their lives intentionally and on purpose. And that's what we talk about here on the Beautiful Butterfly Project yeah. is, um, you know, not living in fear, not having to live a life of almost doing something. So uh, talk to us a little bit about um, what this passion about helping one million people is. Okay. Well, I, as, as part of the process that that saw me being me, now today, um, I realized that I'd spent the larger part of my life period, not, not just in adulthood, but as a child from childhood, uh, learning, I, I learned how to people please. I learned to be very helpful around the house, for instance, as a child. And I learned that all these skills that I knew that I could now do, amongst them, I number saying yes, when no would have been far more sensible, certainly as a grown up. I just wanted people to like me, let alone love me. And, and I would do anything and everything within my power to attract their attention and, and help them to focus, focus on what I saw the, as being the better aspects of me. Even in childhood, I'd learned that. I now know that as I grew into adulthood and, and, and developed my own habits, et cetera, et cetera, that actually those stayed with me. They became a lifelong learned behavior pattern. So as the adult, the flip side of that coin, I was still repeating behaviors that were quite childlike in search of validation from others. I now know that actually I don't need any, as nice as it is at times, I actually don't need anybody else's validation to make me feel healthy, to healthy, to be healthy, happy and whole. But I didn't know that for far too long. So I, I, I set about crafting a mission statement. Which, which saw me analyze the fact that I'd spent far too much of my life saying yes when no would have sufficed, being fearful of the opinions of others, being scared of being seen to be vulnerable, not being wanting to be seen to be lacking in any way, God forbid, let alone be a failure and so on. And I can tell you from personal experience that that's not living, that's existing. That is. And more, and more importantly, the way I've come to couch it of late is it's existing in the shadows of an unfulfilled potential of what my life could have been like. So I spend my days these days redressing that balance and I, and I, and I show people how to step out from their own shadows because we all have shadows. We all have a shadow self. So I take people from to stepping out from behind their shadow and into living their lives in glorious technicolor in a way that sees them happy, healthy and whole and sees them able to stand up and say, you know what, I have got the courage. Not only do I have the courage to say, this is me, this is who I am. I'm more than happy to be for and your opinions, whilst welcome at times, aren't, <laughs> actually, aren't, aren't actually necessary. They aren't necessary. Because, because such is my self-belief that actually today, this has actually become one of my own mantras in that self-belief gives us the wings to fly and the courage to fall, safe in the knowledge that we can get right back up again and try once more, regardless of what anybody else thinks, despite anything and in spite of everything. If I'd known that then, i.e. pre-2012, we may never well have been having this conversation. 
So these days, that's part of my mantra, part of my mission. I'm taking the lessons that I've learned, both both from my personal experiences and my professional background, and I've combined them to show people that actually there is a path straight through this, straight through this veil of shadow into, into bright sunshine. And the difference in life is that stark for the better forever when we can get onto it, you know, when we get into that. But it takes us to have a brutally honest conversation with ourselves. And I, I don't know about you when you work with people on one-to-one, Nicole, but when I work with others these days, and increasingly, actually, I have to say some of the butterflies I work with are men, which is very interesting. It can I, be. Pri- I, I primarily work with, with women. Um, but I, I term these people to be professional swans. When they come to me, I work with professional swans. Those of us who actually doesn't matter what they do for a living, but they, they're those amongst us who paddle serenely through life, giving the impression they don't have a care in the world. And yet underneath the surface, they're paddling like crazy just to stay afloat for fear of being seen to be vulnerable, lacking, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I show them that actually, you know what, if you trust me in this, because inadvertently, mm-hmm. I didn't realize it at the time, but I was my own first client. If you trust me in this, I can take you and show you a better way to live that involves leaving the fears where they belong in the past and, and rising up to, to and engaging with and embracing the opportunities that present themselves to us every single day in the amount of 86,400 times. Wow. Every wow. single second, every day is an opportunity for us to make a choice. For us to make a choice. Yeah. And these days, I not only choose largely, as I said at the beginning, don't get me wrong, I I have bad days. These days, I know the difference and I I choose to accept and acknowledge that today is particularly not a very good day, but I don't unpack and stay there. I acknowledge, accept and validate how I feel and then I pack it back away and I move on having dealt with it rather than let it become emotional baggage through the, through the years. These days, people, my mission, if you like, is hinges on the fact that we can, all of us, live our lives in glorious technicolor in a way that sees us to be happy, healthy, and more whole than when we started that particular day. And all we have to do is just take one day at a time. That's all we have to do. Because when we come to look back at life, then we can see a string of really good days, millions of moments that when we look back across time and we come to call it our life, we can say, you know, that was a life well lived. I lived, I loved, I mattered. And more importantly, I made it count for me. And that's really important. Yeah. And it's also not selfish. I keep stressing that. I am a bit like a stuck record on that respect, but it is not selfish. If we're not happy in our lives, then, then we are not happy in our lives on a broader sense because the happiness that we all are born to, we deserve it. We're born to be happy. You know, uh, yep. we, we, learn, we learn differently. Life teaches us otherwise. If we're not happy on the inside, because I firmly believe that everything begins and ends with you, if we're not happy on the inside, it manifests itself on the outside and it trickles out like a cancer almost into the other areas of our life where our dissatisfaction manifests itself as stress and anxiety and overwhelm. And that's not living, Nicole, that's existing. So my mission is to take these people, a million people minimum, 
to the other side of fear because the only thing that is on the other side of fear is growth. And growth. growth. That's amazing. And I love what you said about coming out of the shadows, which is living in black and white and taking them to see what their life can be in technicolor. It being so bright and it being free, the air is so much better when we live our life out loud and in color and not in the shadows of what we think others should see us how to live. That was something big that I had to learn. And like you said, that you are your first client, just like I was my first client. And and you constantly work on yourself. And like you said, you got have good days and you have um, bad days, but you don't stay on the bad day. You recognize it and you correct it and you move forward. And and you work with adults and you said you work with a lot of men. But why don't you um, talk to us about Team Fearless and what is Team uh, Fearless? T- Team Fearless, my business as it, as it unfolded, uh, because my background, uh, the la- a large part of my professional background is in education, um, where I was never a teacher, but I trained, I trained with the British Dyslexia Association here in the UK to teach students how to learn, which is a completely different skill set to teaching math, geography, et cetera. Um, and, and what that means is I, I adapted learning programs to their specific abilities. So if they were dyslexic, they didn't read particularly well, we, I adapted how they could learn to read by changing the way that the curriculum was presented to them. And in doing so, that, that led me ultimately in this, in, in, within my business to, to designing a program which I came to call Team Fearless, which is... Um, I show children from a very early age, um, round about any, any age from about nine upwards, they, they can probably take on board what I teach because they have the, the language skills to understand. Even if they cannot read or write, it's not a barrier to learning, in my opinion. Um, we need to teach children to their potential, not what we think their potential should be. There's a massive, massive difference. Um, so I teach children to be fearless in themselves in terms of learning to believe in themselves and develop their emotional intelligence to understand why they become triggered to be upset. The earlier we can do this in a child's life, the easier it will be for them as adults to adapt and mold into society in a way that suits them, not which suits society. And again, there's a vital, vital difference there. So Team Fearless for me, I count, I, I count as being my preventative arm. If I, the children that I work with grow up from a young age believing in themselves, they can be, do and become anything they want to be, regardless of what anybody else thinks. And, and that can sometimes cause a bit of an issue with parents until the parents understand that actually if a child at eight tells you he wants to be a Jedi warrior, all we need to do is embrace that and mirror it back to him because within two weeks' time, he's going to want to be a vet or a doctor or a bus driver or whatever. Children are very fluid (laughs) and we don't have to kill their dreams and emotions by telling them they're being stupid. We have to embrace it and explore it and expand on it and teach them that actually, if they want to, they can literally fly. Um, and, and, and you know what kids respond to it very well not to seven are our imprinting years in childhood by the time we get to seven years old we've already learned our worldview of what we think 
we are, which is societally and, and, and environmentally being conditioned. We've been conditioned into it by our parents, our families, our teachers. Seven to 14 are the years that, that primarily I work with, but these are the modeling years. So when, when young people come to me, they already know that they are beautiful, intelligent, pretty, or they know they are thick, stupid, ugly, a waste of space. And somewhere, oftentimes it's in between. My job in Team Fearless is to remold the children that don't believe in themselves yet and bring them to the same place as their peers are, not academically, nowhere, no, but inside a place that counts more than anything inside their minds and acknowledge and validate them for who and what they are. If we can get our child mental health right, then the world will change in a generation. If I had one of my grandchildren asked me a couple of years ago now, if you had a superpower, Nonny, what would it be? And I answered just like that. And I said, do you know what? If I had a superpower, I would wave a magic wand and ensure that every single educator on this planet made sure that in their establishment, they taught mindfulness, meditation, and yoga, and all the holistic therapies as part and parcel of daily life. Because if they could do that, not only would the children thrive and grow, child mental health would subside to minimal levels, and the face of the world would change in one generation. I love it because you are... Um, helping them know how powerful they are, how great they are, and you're not being a dream killer because we can, um, as parents and as adults and just society in general, we can be a dream killer and just embrace if they come to you this week and say, hey, they want to fly rockets great and mirror that back to them. Because like you said, the next month, it's next two weeks, is it, you know, it's going to be something different. Um, and mean, that's so look important. Around. Absolutely. Look around you, Nicole, to, to in terms of um, famous people, famous people through time. Thomas Edison was, was booted out of school at seven years old. The father of the electric light bulb who went on to be one of the world's most prolific inventors, was dyslexic, but his teachers thought he was stupid. Ineducable is how they deemed him. Mm. Albert, Albert Einstein was autistic. These men and millions of others, men and women like them, as children were deemed to be different, ineducable. Thankfully, we know better these days. However, We've a long way to go before people understand, the wider world understands that these people are not um, disabled. I travel, I, I think you understand, I think you know that I've, I've, I travel extensively in India speaking and so on. And I, yes. love, yes. I, I love Mother India, as I've come to call her, because of, because of the way that they view things. In India, they don't have disabled people. They have, wow. differently, they have differently abled people. Oh, yeah, that's a perfect they, way to put it. They, they, and, and, and that's evidence, not by anything that anybody says. They clearly have people who we would deem in, in Western world to be disabled, you know, on some, and on some level, um, amputees for argument's sake. But their facilities, train carriages and shop entrances and, and so on, they are actually labeled differently abled. The word disabled doesn't exist in, in that format. Wow. And that's just, it's very subtle, but imagine 
imagine a child growing up from day one knowing that they were differently abled. Albert Einstein was differently abled. He was actually a genius. He just thought differently to everybody else. Therefore, he was differently abled. It's all about reframing the way we speak to and about ourselves. That's part and parcel of what I do today, help people to reframe the way they see themselves, their situations, their lives. Because when we reboot our mindset, reframe our story, we can reclaim our power and live a life that is definitely, definitely lived in glorious technicolor as opposed to grayed out shadows of a past. And that's so important. So important to reframe our story and yeah. with that, the power of words. And so here on the beautiful five, not the beautiful butterfly project, say that five times uh-huh. back to back. Uh-huh. Um, we have about three questions that we ask every guest. And, okay. and, and one of the, well, it's really four, <laughs> <laughs> but if your personality were a color, Sue, what color would it be? Purple. Tell us why. Um, because I, I, well, purple started off as a child being my favorite color because I worshipped Donny Osmond, still do, but that's a well, whole different yeah. story. <laughs> um, but I, and I, I just, I just, but all joking apart, I, I instinctively sort of grew towards it as an adult. And then when I, when I started, when I went into business, I started researching what colors I should use for my business. And, and purple comes up as, as, as a color of wisdom. And, and if I, if I, if I know anything about myself today, it's that I'm, I'm a heck of a lot wiser today than I was yesterday. I'm a, I'm even more wise than I was eight years ago, let alone 20 years ago. So I, I would firmly stay, I mean, I, I surround myself with purple. My bed linen's purple. My curtains are purple. My kids think I've gone crazy, but I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay to be a little crazy in that respect. <laughs> it, I, I always say if it's good enough for Donnie, it's good enough for me. So I'm Absolutely <laughs> is. And add a little sparkle and then it's all good. Absolutely. Oh, what's your favorite word? My favorite word, self-belief. If you hyphenated, oh, it, 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 it is, but it's still one word. So that is okay. It still counts. (laughs) Okay. If you had one day on earth and it was your last day, what would you spend it doing? Oh my goodness. I would surround myself with every single person who was also still gifted to be here at that day. And and I would not leave anything left unsaid or undone. I love it. I love it. And the very last thing here on the Beautiful Butterfly Project, we always talk about intentional and um, being purposeful and living triumphantly. If you had a few last words for the Butterfly Nation in this moment, what would those words be? Oh, wow. It would have to be that whoever and whatever and wherever any of us are in this world, that we can all of us take a chance to choose to change what we don't like about ourselves, our life, our journey at any given point on any given day. We don't have to wait wait for New Year's Eve or Monday or after the summer break or Lord forbid, after COVID, we do not have to wait 
to make the changes that we not only desire but deserve to see manifest in our lives, but more importantly, remember along the way, everything is temporary. We can do, be and become absolutely anything that we want to be when when we believe in ourselves. But more importantly, whoever and whatever you are, my friends, in this world, in this life, at any given point, regardless of what anybody else thinks, you're enough. Period. We are all of us enough. And those are the words of Sue Kerr. And there is nothing left to be said on episode three of the Beautiful Butterfly Project. Miss Sue, thank you so much for being our guest today, for coming on and imparting your words of wisdom. And I just like to leave everyone with this, that there is nothing ever in this life that is achieved without hard work and sacrifice. But that only begins by knowing your purpose. And thank you so much for joining us, Sue. My absolute pleasure. I've had an absolute ball. Thank you very, very much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you found it to be insightful, but most of all, inspiring. If you are interested in being a guest or learning more, please visit our Facebook page at the Beautiful Butterfly Project Podcast. Or email the beautiful butterfly projects at innovativebutterfly.com. See you again soon as we take this amazing journey together on the beautiful butterfly projects.